Welcome to this webinar series, Physical Activity Research Podcast and International Society for Physical Activity and Health, ISPA, have started collaboration. We have edited their webinars to audio-only podcast versions, so you can listen them also on the go. Our mission is to advance science and share scientific knowledge, so if your organization has relevant webinars or lectures and would like to get more audience to them, please let us know. But without further ado, let's jump to the webinar. And without further ado, I would like to introduce uh, our next speaker, who is no other than Professor Fiona Ball from uh, WHO. Uh, Fiona is uh, WHO's head of the physical activity unit. And uh, I would uh, uh, have no reservation in uh, saying that uh, Fiona has been, Fiona's press arrival at WHO has been a game changer for global uh, physical activity. She is the mastermind behind not only the WHO's 2020 recommendations, but also the Global Action Plan on Physical Activity. And I think that Fiona will be sharing uh, a few things about around GAPA-related developments. So Fiona, it's an honor and great pleasure to have you. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Manos. And a very good morning or good afternoon or good evening to all of you joining. It really is a great pleasure to be here and joining uh, this important event, a satellite from the recent very successful conference in uh, in Abu Dhabi, the uh, ISPA 2022. Um, it's a great pleasure, Manos, because this is such an important area, and I really welcome the early career researchers who are joining. I welcome and am pleased to uh, hear the priority you set on low and middle income country uh, developments and research and engagement. So, <clears throat> uh, and thank you for your very kind words. Thank you very much. So um, you introduced that I'd be updating a little bit on news of what's been going on globally to provide a, a sort of wider context for this and just taking uh, no more than 10 minutes. It's a great pleasure for WHO to, to do such. And I'd like to uh, take us forward uh, to show you some of the things which Manos alluded to. In fact, the progress we're collectively making from 2018, where the uh, Global Action Plan, which most of you know on, on this call, provided the roadmap, collected the evidence and presented the set of policy actions which all countries should implement to provide the opportunities, the places, spaces, motivations and information for people to be active. We'll come back to that. You know we have tar targets. You know we have guidelines, guidelines developed now across the life course, guidelines that will soon, too soon for some, but will need updating. And that's why this work that you're discussing today, the work you're doing in research labs around the world and taking it into the practical tools that we could use is so important. We also need to help countries implement. And so the tools on the right, you see, are our package from WHO known as ACTIVE, which is how we implement. I'll be looking forward to having the 
practical tool on measuring physical activity with devices and updating our technical advice to countries in the near future. We lastly have on this slide the Fair Play, an advocacy tool reflecting the impact of COVID, which for all of us highlighted the importance of physical activity and its uh, benefits for mental and physical health and the loss we had through the impact of COVID um, movement restrictions and uh, impact on our lives more generally. And so we have a suite and I'm using this to show you where your work fits in the uh, bigger picture. Most importantly, and many on this call will know that just two weeks ago, we added a new item to that slide. And this is the first global status report on physical activity. WHO over the last couple of years has been assessing country progress on all aspects of the Global Action Plan. You're seeing here, if you missed the launch, uh, you can find the materials on it and assess your country through the country profile cards shown in the middle, the exec summary in six languages. Forthcoming will be the full report available now in English, but forthcoming in all languages. There's also a great little uh, video to capture the main messages. I want to tell you a little bit more about this because it's highly relevant for the work that you're doing. So if you'll allow me and I'll draw your attention to the video of the, sorry, the recording of the uh, uh, event, if you're interested in more detail, let's have a look at what it's telling us about surveillance and measurement. I mentioned that the report itself is structured around assessing country progress on the four key pillars of the Global Action Plan. In the fourth pillar, the blue pillar, is where we have those policies, guidelines, targets, surveillance, that we know enable and underpin the other three areas. The headline result is that progress is slow and uneven. It's slow because when we look at that shown here using a traffic light system, you can see only two policy indicators. Two of the 29 policy indicators are achieved by over 75%. There is a silver lining in the sense that one of those indicators is national surveillance. So countries report that they are measuring physical activity. And I do see that as progress from a decade or more ago, where physical activity was often not measured in national surveillance systems. However, in the orange and the or yellow and the red, you can see that many of the other indicators, too many of the under indicators, are not being implemented by uh, so many of the countries. Let us look at the key area of the um, uh, enabling uh, active systems. And you see uh, just a headline results from the global status report. On the far left, you can see we have policies. Nearly half of policies I have countries are having a policy on physical activity and many, many more have a policy on NCDs, including physical activity. But glance across the slide to the other variables. Guidelines, one third of countries. Targets, about a half. And there's that result on the surveillance. But I draw your attention in this group that hidden behind that 92% is variation. Variation by income, the low and, low and middle income countries having fewer. Variation by age groups for which we are measuring physical activity, particularly in youth, and very much so far fewer countries measuring in the very younger age of under five. 
I highlight also we have no data on children under 10 at a global level. Surveillance is needed. Measures are needed. We have huge gaps. That's one of the messages of this report. I want to finish by just giving you uh, one of the latest advocacy tools you can use. We've put a price tag on not acting on physical activity, for not investing in the research that will help countries act on physical activity. The price tag is calculated by looking at the new cases of non-communicable and mental disease, that mental health conditions, that will occur, that are estimated and predicted to occur out to 2030. They're listed on this slide and looking at the public healthcare costs, and it's enormous. $300 billion will be spent or required to treat the cases we can prevent through more physical activity. The manuscript is accepted for publication, and the final manuscript will be uploaded online very shortly. I draw your attention to this, and I invite you to look at the recommendations we call for. It, number four, reinforce data systems. Reinforce the quality of data, and that includes transitioning to device-based measures where appropriate and in combination when needed with self-report and driving the system of change through good data and evidence. So I welcome this meeting and I welcome the opportunity to provide a few contextual remarks and I wish you well in the discussion as you discuss how to use devices, how to analyze the data, and critically, how we can collectively move forward to an agreed body of knowledge and methods and reporting of physical activity. Thank you very much, Manos and the team organizing, and I'll hand back the floor. Thanks very much, Fiona. That's an excellent uh, overview of the direction of travel from the WHO's uh, side of things. And uh, I would like to yeah, emphasize one, once more that WHO is a key determinant here in whatever this meeting concludes. I think very little can happen without WHO's support. Um, so I look forward, uh, Fiona, to, uh, I'm very grateful that you made the time, I know how busy you are, to, to, to stay for the uh, debate at the end, for the round table discussion. We have one question that, for Fiona. Uh, is it moral that technology-based measurements show a picture of much lesser physical activity and therefore giving incentive to governments to give less resources to work groups that are of risk, at high risk, I believe. How do you overcome this issue? Uh, just going to read that again. Is it moral that the technology-based measurements show a picture of much lesser physical activity compared with the self-report and therefore giving incentive to governments to give less resources to work groups that are of risk? I'm not quite clear what the work groups mean to this uh, to the questioner, but um, I think it's important that we have all information. Um, it's quite clear there are differences in the measurements and therefore the estimates we have from different ways of measuring and the difference between self-report and devices is an important area to understand. It will reveal a different picture. That picture needs to be understood, but that does not mean that we would, um, and governments should interpret the data to um, only direct their efforts in certain groups. I remind everyone that the Global Action Plan calls for addressing the inequalities. So in fact, if self uh, device-based measures highlight the groups that are in most need, that is where we should be um, 
focusing our attention. I hope I've answered your question, but I'll stay online and look for any further comments on that question if I've misinterpreted it. Thanks, Manos. Thank you, Juna. We have uh, time for another question from Katarina. Uh, I mean, the field of uh, Katarina is in the field of biological rhythms, sleep, light, and mental health, and collect a large number of actigraphic data. Uh, my question is, are you considering to include time spent outdoors through physical activity outdoors into the intervention of myopia in children? I think this would reinforce and encourage parents and schools to change their curriculum from indoor education to outdoors. A very specific question here, if you know. Thank you, Manos, and thank you to Katharina. Uh, this is a very interesting question as you really dig into the issues of where children are active and, of course, adults and how and what we're doing. And I think, Manos, your opening slides suggested and revealed to us, of course, that there are different dimensions of physical activity and, and where you're active, indoor or outdoor, is of interest for specific areas. Of course, at the moment, and, and regretfully, global measures are really very high level. Uh, as many of you know, we report total level of physical activity as the primary indicator. Hidden behind it is the domains from which it comprises, whether that's work or home or domestic, uh, leisure or recreation, sport or through transport. I'm very pleased that we've got progress on unpacking that and beginning to show domains matter. But you're taking us to the next level of indoor-outdoor. And I think it just is part of the wide picture that you're going to be discussing in this. And why I carefully said that device measures, measures may or may not answer all the questions and self-report and other technologies and other measurements might be needed. So I think the question will remain unanswered. And at this stage, WHO is unable to do what you're doing. So we'll leave that on the table for the further discussions of this meeting and, of course, going forward. Thank you, Manos. Yeah, thanks a lot, Fiona. And without further ado, I would like to introduce our next, next speaker, uh, Dr. Uh, Jacob uh, Tarp from Aarhus University until recently uh, with uh, NIH, the uh, Norwegian Institute for Sport. Uh, Jacob uh, is doing us a big, big favor today because he's covering for Ulf Ekelund. So you may have noticed that Ulf Ekelund was in the program initially, but Ulf unfortunately uh, had to withdraw his participation because of some eye surgery as it happens. Uh, so, Jacob, uh, thank you again, and welcome to our symposium. Thank okay, you. Well, thank you very much for the introduction, and, and thanks for letting me uh, speak here in uh, place of uh, Ulf. And um, I will be talking about some specific ex specific examples of, uh, of device-based uh, data, and, and after this um, kind of big-picture uh, talks so far, we'll be looking at some of the real life examples of, of, uh, of what have uh, been done and how their different approaches influence the data presentation and, and, and may also influence the results. So there, there's no doubt that uh, the advent of uh, devices has improved measurement of physical activity by substantially reducing the, uh, the random error and, and, and the biases associated with the self-report. Uh, devices are by no means a true objective measurement in, in terms of they don't represent a ground truth of physical activity uh, without any uncertainties. 
for example, there are a range of different post-processing decisions that impact the absolute levels of uh, physical activity uh, recorded by these uh, devices. And that may or may not impact the, the dose-response uh, relationships with uh, health outcomes. So, uh, for example, I've I highlighted here two studies, the British Regional Heart Study and, and the Women's Health Study, um, published in the same year, both analyzing uh, moderate to vigorous physical activity against all-cause mortality, splitting uh, their, their sample into quartiles and using the least active F as the, as the reference. And, and what we can see here is there is just a substantial difference in the magnitude of the associations and also the, the dose response uh, patterns. And comparing the, the definitions of moderate to vigorous physical activity suggests that this may have something to do with these post-processing uh, post decisions, but it could also be due to different samples or different covariates adjustments. So it just, it leaves uh, questions uh, open for interpretation. And as uh, we've, we've heard here, a key mission uh, of the physical activity community is still to understand the dose-response relationships for, for an, an ever-expanding range of physical activity and sedentary behavior exposures with also an ever-expanding range of health comes. Now, not only mortality and morbidity, but also mental health and, and, and physical uh, function. And this just calls for harmonization to kind of rule out these post-processing uh, influences. And kind of to to go back to the start the very first example of a an attempt to harmonize uh, physical activity data is uh, the icat uh, study the international children's accelerometry database it was created almost 15 years ago between 2008 and 2010 it, it went live in 2011 and 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 i guess really kicked the door in, in for physical activity research in 2013 by publishing this uh, paper in, uh, in in Yama by Ulf and, and a lot of great uh, colleagues and the novel feature of, of, of the ICAT was was uh, was not really that it showed how uh, total physical activity or moderate to vigorous physical activity was associated with cardiometabolic uh, risk factors here in, in table five and, and and that the association between sedentary time, and these outcomes in, in, in kids were, were maybe less uh, convincing. But the real uh, strong point of this analysis was that, was that the sample size was large enough to create these nine combinations of physical activity and sedentary time to show how these factors collectively influence, in, in, in this instance, waist circumference in, uh, in, 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 in kids. So this was a truly uh, novel innovation and, and, and really kind of set the stage for these harmonization uh, projects. And what was so fascinating about ICAST uh, was that they uh, invited contributors to send all their accelerometer files, all the individual participant uh, data, along with a few uh, covariates for, for, for some attempts at, at, at harmonization other than, than physical activity. And then they took all the physical activity files and then they reprocessed them centrally at, in one computer using the same cut points, none where all these post-processing decisions that we, that we know influence uh, absolute measurements of physical activity. And they did that to create one 
common data set that could then be reanalyzed again and again, answering different uh, questions and, and have done so leading to uh, very, very many uh, publications. But of course, to, to, to achieve this requires uh, extensive uh, resources and commitment to true long-term outcomes. Remember this started in 2008 and is still uh, ongoing. And also a lot has happened uh, with ethical and confidentiality uh, issues since 2008. And it's quite unlikely that something like ICAT pooling all the data centrally uh, would be uh, possible uh, today. And, 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 and uh, that is even without trying to include any mortality or disease uh, data. So uh, a more feasible approach to kind of harmonize data from different studies, if you don't have this massive amount of resources at your disposal, could be something like, like the uh, what we call the Adult Accelerometer uh, Consortium, which was a, a project including eight um, uh, cohorts with uh, device-measured physical activity um, in relation to, to mortality published in, in, in BMJ in, in 2019. And uh, in contrast to ICAT, which was, which was based on collecting all the data in, in, in one computer, the Accelerometer Consortium took a more uh, feasible, pragmatic approach where uh, harmonization was done at the local level. So all the participating cohorts reprocessed their accelerometry data according to a standard protocol with common decisions on cut points, epochs, nonware valid day uh, criteria to kind of rule out any heterogeneity due to these different uh, decisions. And also um, contributors performed the analysis locally based on study-specific covariates and, and also study-specific quartiles of uh, fiscal activity, and then shared their summary estimates with uh, the writing group for uh, pooling in a conventional meta-analysis. So the, the difference here is really that uh, the um, processing of the uh, accelerometer data is standardized compared to a conventional meta-analysis of, of observational studies. And this is feasible because there are no ethical or legal considerations on uh, summary uh, data. And of course, a drawback is that it requires additional commitment from partners as the analysis are performed uh, locally and as the analysis may develop and call for follow-up uh, questions, this will have uh, partners go back to the data and do the analysis again, which would not be necessary in something like uh, ICAT. And um, because this work was at the time, now UK Biobank has kind of taken over as the largest uh, collection of device uh, data uh, this study really made a big impact in, in, in terms of showing how any kind of physical activity, total physical activity, light, low light, high light, moderate to vigorous and sedentary was associated with uh, mortality. And, and, and the results here in table two are, are shown for the pooled uh, quartiles. So this study came out at a really nice time for the WHO 2020 guidelines and really helped to emphasize the message, sit less, uh, move uh, more. And I think what was really fascinating is that this was uh, 
was performed without any uh, financial support whatsoever. So this was just people uh, willing to do some really interesting work. And another example, uh, another very recent example is the Steps for Health uh, Collaborative. Uh, they um, reviewed the, the literature for studies on steps and mortality data to, to try to uh, dig into this dose-response relationship for this measure of physical activity. And, and they were able to include a total of 15 cohort studies based on a range of different step uh, devices. And again, based on local processing of accelerometry data, local uh, analysis, and sharing summary estimates with the writing group and according to a common uh, protocol. And because this uh, uh, initiative now included a total of 15 studies, they were able to do some subgroup analysis by age and, and, and sex, and I've highlighted them here in, in, in the box for, for age, showing some potential heterogeneity in uh, the dose-response relationship between steps and, and mortality uh, by uh, age. So uh, this is clearly way more feasible to just have people do their analysis like they usually do and then pull it uh, uh, in a meta-analysis compared with something like uh, ICAT. So what are the caveats of doing this type of study level uh, meta-analysis? And there, there are several caveats, uh, but I've kind of highlighted three that I think are important to discuss uh, here. And the first one is that determining the dose-response relationship, which is kind of really what we want to do, is uh, challenging. Because going back to the, the quartiles um, uh, of the adult accelerometer consortium, I showed you before the pooled uh, effect sizes, the hazard ratios, but this is a forest plot showing the uh, individual study results going into these pooled uh, hazard uh, ratios. And uh, while we can see the dose response relationship, this is for, for moderate to vigorous physical activity, we can see that there is a substantial variation in the absolute level of physical activity in these uh, quartiles. So for example, the median physical activity level in the second quartile was six minutes per day, uh, but the range across cohorts was one to 24 minutes. And, 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 the, uh, and in the most active quartile, the median uh, moderate to vigorous physical activity level was 20, uh, or excuse me, uh, 38 minutes per day, but also again with a substantial range from 20 to 63 minutes across uh, cohorts. And we can even see that some of the, what would be quartile four in one study could be quartile three in another study. And uh, of course, that has uh, very large implications for the uh, quantitative guidelines uh, that can be derived from, from, from these uh, data. So to kind of overcome uh, this variation uh, in absolute levels across the, the studies, we try to pool all the data in a, into a continuous uh, dose response uh, analysis. And, and, and this is shown here in the, in the figure. This is based on the same data. So it's study specific quartiles and median physical activity level, and then the hazard ratios and the confidence intervals to kind of decide how much weight is given to each uh, study. And, while this uh, figure definitely looks very nice, showing a very strong inverse dose-response relationship by doing any level of, of moderate to vigorous physical activity, and then 
with a lot of uh, uncertainty at, at higher levels of, of, um, of activity. The, the underlying data, I think, maybe calls for more caution in, 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 in how certain we can be that this is actually the dose-response relationship. And uh, these dots represent the individual data points and, and the size are proportional to the amount of uh, information they contribute. And, and what I kind of think is, uh, is, is, is interesting is that the, the, the resulting line is kind of going in between two dots uh, of, uh, uh, of, of, of hazard ratios. So the resulting line is, some, is, is really somewhere where there is really no, re none of the studies really had these um, estimates. And we can really see uh, that at the upper level of physical activity, there is an a clear lack of uh, information, and, and, and I think clearly we need more studies to inform these dose response uh, patterns, but uh, this is a start. So subgroup analysis have limited power, and, and while I alluded to uh, potential aids, uh, heterogeneity in the steps uh, collaboration, this is again a pooled continuous dose response uh, meta-analysis, and while we can see that it looks like there is some heterogeneity, we can also see that there is an area where the confidence intervals and the point estimates really do overlap. And because it was based on uh, summary level uh, data, there was no test of interaction. So how certain can we be that these differences are, are real? And there are some examples in the literature where meta-analysis of summary level data can lead to uh, what is called ecological uh, bias, a type of confounding, where uh, in uh, this is a, a meta-analysis of hypertension treatment, uh, where the, the, the blue boxes represent the uh, individual studies. And we can see that the, the, the lines in each individual studies are really horizontal, uh, which here suggests that uh, there are no real uh, gender differences in the treatment effect. But when we pool all the data, we can see that there is a correlation between lower treatment effect with a higher proportion of uh, males in the, in the, in the study, uh, which would suggest uh, heterogeneity. But when this data was reanalyzed based on individual participant data as an ICAT, there was no such uh, gender uh, heterogeneity in, in, in effect. So this would be some kind of ecological uh, bias. Finally, analytical flexibility is uh, low. So for instance, if uh, the uh, results of a, a harmonized analysis based on summary data shows, maybe we need to dig more into this then it would require all the collaborators to go back to the data and re-perform their, their analysis, which would be very time consuming. Um, so it's less flexible also in terms of reviewer comments or even new ideas that may uh, be generated during the process. And um, this is an example of a uh, harmonized data set based on individual level data where they really looked at mediation and moderation to try to get into the mechanisms and Something like that would be quite difficult based on uh, summary level uh, data. So because of these limitations, we, we wanted to revisit the dose response pattern between physical activity and sedentary time based on individual level data. So Edward uh, Sargelf, a PhD student from the University of uh, Tromsø, 
has led a pooling project of four cohorts with 12,000 uh, participants from, from Norway, Sweden, and, and, and the US. And, and um, because we are now pooling all the data, we have uh, enough statistical power to detect a significant interaction between physical activity and sedentary time, which I think is really interesting. And, this is some new data that's unpublished. It's currently uh, in submission. And I want to, to, to share it with you here today because I think it's really interesting and demonstrates what we can do with individual level uh, data. And what this uh, figure shows is that in those participants in blue who are meeting the physical activity guidelines, so 150 minutes uh, of moderate to rigorous physical activity per week, there is no association between sedentary time and mortality at all, while there is an, a very strong association with high levels of sedentary time and mortality in those who are not meeting the guidelines, uh, the, the, the red uh, line. And this is interesting because th this level of physical activity is much slower than what is currently uh, communicated in the physical activity uh, guidelines by the WHO, that high levels of sedentary time calls for physical activity levels above the um, recommendations to, to eliminate this excess uh, risk. So we look forward to sharing these results and, and discuss their potential uh, implications. So the question is, of course, then, is it possible to combine, to combine the benefits of individual participant data with the ethical and legal requirements of uh, today? And it is uh, possible, and, and, and PROPAS, I guess, is really championing uh, this approach in the physical activity uh, space. But there was a paper published one or two years ago by Sebastian Justin, who, uh, who also demonstrated this uh, approach, that there is new uh, software available to secure an environment for local storage of data with the additional analytical options uh, in the individual participant data uh, meta-analysis. And um, this is based on what is called a federated analysis. Um, uh, and they managed to pull six studies to apply a compositional uh, data uh, analysis. And, and I think important insights will come from this um, approach in, in, in the future. But I think an important thing to highlight is that Comparing the six studies on moderate to vigorous physical activity here in table two reveals that there are some substantial differences in, in, in the physical activity levels across the cohorts. And you can see that the UK Biobank and the Whitehall two cohorts have much higher levels of physical activity than the remaining cohorts. And that is because they are based on wrist-worn uh, accelerometry, indicating that these data are probably fundamentally not comparable at all. And, uh, they ended up analyzing this data separately from the uh, HIP-1 accelerometry. And I think uh, I will end shortly, uh, Manas, don't uh, worry. This leads to uh, important uh, considerations about what is it that needs to be harmonized, because harmonization of cut points and non-wear and wear time may be trivial if the data collected is fundamentally not comparable, such as wrist and HIP-1. Uh, accelerometry. And there is some work in this space based on bridging equations to, to convert different um, physical activity outputs into uh, common metrics. And I think this is a very interesting field that we need to work on because if we want to uh, provide quantitative guidelines, 
we need to be able to include all of the evidence and not have different quantitative uh, guidelines depending on how we measured uh, physical activity by the wrist or on the thigh or, 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 or on the hip. So I think this will be important to consider uh, in the future. So I'm ending with this slide, just summing up the main differences between the ICAT approach, the individual participant data set, the accelerometer consortium steps um, approach based on summary level data, and then the federated real-time access platform demonstrated by Sebastian Shastan and, and also which Propass is, um, is, is working on uh, developing. So thank you very much, uh, Manas. Thank you, Jacob. This talk uh, provided a huge amount of food for thought, especially on the methodological front. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.